And welcome back. I'm Tim Shriver, uh, co-founder with you of The Call to Unite, a place where we organize ourselves around one simple principle, we are one, and where we believe that when we act on that principle, we can do anything, and where we aim for a world of justice and joy, where we defeat this pandemic and the related pandemics of despair, of division, of inequality, of injustice. It is now my pleasure to welcome here uh, probably the preeminent voice around the concepts and voices and texture of spirituality in the world today, the extraordinarily decorated Krista Tippett, uh, the leader and uh, founder of On Being, decorated by presidents and Peabody Awards. Uh, really, Krista Tippett has spoken to everyone who aims to bring the heart and soul and spirit in uh, in the work of changing us, making us more unified, but also changing the world. Welcome, Krista Tippett. Oh, Tim, what an honor it is to be part of this and to be a co-founder and co-producer of this with there you. you. <laughs> there you are. That's, yeah. You're the first person to accept the title. I'm so I happy. accept. <laughs> <laughs> so with, a, with, with, the, with the gift comes a responsibility. St tell us uh, in this moment, Krista, what's what have you been thinking? We, we've all been tossed upside down a bit by all this, and you've had so much uh, the benefit of so many wisdom teachers and so much learning. What's resonated for you during this period of uh, such uh, anxiety and fear? Well, I just, I've been thinking about what an extraordinary moment it is um, for us to, you know, this theme of unite, this virus this is not the way we would have chosen it but this pandemic has brought home into our bodies uh that we are all connected the reality that our world has been connected and i think and it's new i i you know i sometimes talk about this as a species moment because our technologies our inventiveness our creativity have actually created these tools that bring us together. Mm. Um, and I have felt that the next stage of this is that, that we not just, that we attend to the quality of the connection between mm. us. Oh, beautiful. Right. And so now we know we are connected. What do we do with that? It's really new knowledge for us. It's, it's extraordinary. You know, my work is about pursuing the, the great human questions, which are on the one hand ancient and then get re get picked up and renewed and reframed by every generation. And we've been in that process. And I, our young people, you know, we were speaking about your, your adult children, my adult children. Um, they have been insisting on picking up this question anew of what it means to be human and how we want to live. And I believe that in the 21st century, and this virus has just brought this into relief. The question of what it means to be human is also inextricable from the question of who we will be to each other. Mm. And mm. I think the whether we survive this century, this pandemic, or flourish beyond it is, is about how we live into that question. As you say, how we hold this energy that so many of us are feeling now let it really infuse who we are beyond this, how we live, who we are to each other. 
that is the path to flourishing. So I'm dying to ask you, I know that the next guest is fantastic. I don't want to take a second from your next guest, but I want to ask you in, in the social and emotional learning field, uh, my friend and mentor, Keith Matheny sometimes talks about relationship deposits and relationship withdrawals. Mm. And he teaches young people how to make relationship deposits, how to build the connective tissue between us. Is there, is there someone in your, in your world who's, who's taught you a, a powerful lesson about how to build this species moment into stronger relationships? Is there, a, is there a trick? Is there a skill? Is there a gift? Is there an insight that resonates for you? Oh, that's such a, I'm going to think of that one thing five minutes after we get off. Oh, that's okay. I guess, you can, you I guess later. What, what I was thinking about when you were speaking with David is, is uh, I guess what, what feels important to me now is that with all the variation in our individual circumstances, this is a, this thing has sent us inside in every way, literally, physically and inside ourselves. We're all together in this and we're all alone with this. Um, some of the, you know, for example, I think paying attention to what's happening and taking in what we're learning, again, even if we wouldn't have chosen this learning, like the fact that we have culturally started speaking in terms of essential and non-essential, mm. that we have made this new distinction and it turns out that those roles and that work, those people we are now defining as essential are often the least, in many ways, the least valued and compensated people mm. in our economy and the way we've structured things. Um, so I think part of the work, this kind of spiritual work is, you know, is noticing. I don't know who said was Maybe Simone Weil, they said that prayer is, is absolutely unmixed attention. Mm. So mm. what if we, if, what if moving prayerfully through this time means that as we realize, as we are learning something, right, we're learning something that maybe has always been true, but we hadn't consciously let it into our bodies and our minds and our spirits, that we, that we consciously learn that and that we commit, you know, to, we, we accept the calling. Beautiful. Let that form who we are and what we make um, on the other side of this moment of mm. this process. Prayer is unmixed attention. Let it form us. Uh, thank you, uh, Krista, for being with us. I can't wait to hear from your next guest, uh, who I uh, am a, another fanboy. I'm, I'm a fan of everybody on this on this ex, uh, extravaganza. Yeah. But thank you for being with us on the call to unite and for helping us hashtag answer the call. Well, you brought us together, Tim. Yeah, thank you. So you get to introduce Christian. Okay. I think. Well, you know, one of the things. So as I said, my my project, my my interest is in is in pursuing these great questions of meaning and of humanity. Uh, what does it mean to be human? How do we want to live? Who will, we, who will we be to each other? And one of the things that I've started picking up in the world in recent years and now is just moving forward with such intensity is that poetry is a language, a form, perhaps more, um, perhaps 
perhaps the best form for getting at these raw human realities and, and not just the question of who we are, but who we want to be. And Christian Wyman is one of our great poets um, who I've been privileged to know for a couple of years. Um, Chris, you're there. I would just want to Say hello to you from my uh, quarantine in Minnesota to yours in New Haven, Connecticut. Good to see you. You know, um, I will tell everybody that uh, Chris wrote a book, which was published in February, which means it was written long before any of us knew the word coronavirus, called Survival is a Style. And this book has felt prophetic to me, uh, the title alone. Um, but I also, Chris, you know, something that that I think is so uh, that just is so vivid in these pages and this poetry is your you have faced your mortality in in your life. That's this has been a defining thing for you. Um, this diagnosis of cancer that came to you a long time ago that you live with. Um, and as I was reading these pages of survival as a style and it felt so prophetic, I. I was thinking that perhaps one reason is that, of course, we all are going to die. Of course, we all could face our mortality, but we, we don't. We, we get pushed up to that edge. But that is, an, that is one of the experiences now in our world, that we all have landed back in our bodies and we realize we are conscious of our mortality in a new way, all together at the same time. In some ways, our global experience has come around to be closer to the personal experience that you've been in for some time and been really working through by way of poetry and theology. Yeah, I think that's very true. I think, um, I think some things actually don't seem to come into existence until we turn our attention to it, interestingly. Uh, and I think poetry is particularly good for that. I have felt that urgency for many, many years and uh, am feeling it collectively now in a different way. I think, it, it, you know, I'm interested in what you said about poetry because I think of two things. One, when we when this first started happening, we were homeschooling our kids like so many. I have two 10-year-old daughters, and one of the things that we found, that I found, that we could all do together was read poems and memorize them. And my daughters and I actually memorized Jabberwocky together. <laughs> we would do it while doing jumping jacks and say, and, and while doing while taking walks, and and that's sort of a perfect example of one way in which poetry can work because you don't know the meaning of that poem. It really has no meaning. It's just sound, and sometimes the sound of something can fix our attention in a way that a prayer can. Like you were saying that quote by Simone Weil: "Absolutely unmixed attention is prayer." Um, and I have found that my own attention has been very scattered during all of this. It hasn't concentrated me in a way. And, and the one thing mm. that I can concentrate on is poetry. Mm. And, uh, and so I've been very grateful to have that. You know, one, one poem, I wanted to read one poem, which I think is about this, turning your attention to something and feeling it come alive. And, um, it's a, you know it, it's we're talking about uniting and what will come next and and uh, it's easy to say these things they very quickly become generalizations and blandishments and 
But the fact is, if you don't turn your attention to something, it often, it, it will not come alive. Mm. And this poem is about that. When the time's toxins, it's called. When the time's toxins have seeped into every cell, and like a salted plot from which all rain, all green are gone, I and life are leached of meaning. Somehow a seed of belief sprouts the instant I acknowledge it. Little weedy, hardy, would-be greenness tugged upward by light, while deep within roots like talons are taking hold again of this our only earth. Mm. Um, you know, Something that really uh, jumps out at me in that poem. First of all, I so appreciate you saying that one reason, because poetry is just, it's just exploding, right? That's not a good word. We use all these violence and war metaphors, but it's everywhere. The young are discovering poetry. And um, for you to say that also, you know, that one one reason for that is that, and you know, somebody said to me the other day, we're all grieving right now we're all grieving even if we're even if we haven't lost someone we love we have lost the world we thought we knew yeah and one effect of grief is um is a lack of concentration and i actually think we we don't give our we don't kind of let that be true um and for you to say that poetry it's manageable but also when you what you just read is so visual and sensory you, t- you know, just in a few, you're using words, but you're evoking all of our senses. Um, and I've also been wondering if, I, I feel like poetry is language, but it also lands in our bodies. Like it's, it's something that unites our cognitive, our minds, our spirits, and our physical being, our physical reality in the world. Yeah, that's that poem you read just now. It just it, it it it's all there in just a few lines. Yeah, that's the relief it gives me. Is that um, sometimes it, it's what seems like difficulty, but it's actually not so difficult. It's simply the words working together, like uh-huh. kingfishers catch fire, dragonflies draw flame, and tumble over rims and roundy wells, stones ring. Where all those sounds can just kind of catch you up and and uh, make you. Actually, they release you from meaning. You don't have to worry about the meaning so much. Yeah, they release you from meaning, but they... They mean in a deeper way. Well, they make us... Just bringing all those things together, they make us... They plant us in our wholeness. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting you use that word plant. You know, that I I realized when I was reading that poem that uh, I listened to a sermon a couple of weeks ago by a friend of mine in Chicago, and he... He mentioned in the sermon that he had just learned that the roots underneath the tree um, communicate with each other. Yeah. And actually, when a tree, uh, you've probably done this, learned this in your program, but when one tree is struggling, the other trees will actually send extra nutrients to that tree. And, and when a tree collapses and falls over and, and there's nothing but a stump there, they will continue to nourish that stump. And you'll see these little little things come up, little shoots come up in the stump, and those are called perfectly tributes. 
incredible <laughs> word. They're actually called tributes. Mm-hmm. And we saw one on our walking the other day, these little tributes coming up in the stump. And you think about the way we're united. I mean, we're united because the natural world is united. It's not something that we're forcing into existence here. Yes, I think that language of ecosystem that is fairly new as part of our vocabulary um, as human beings also helps point the way forward to this, how does a united work? We know how vital systems function in the natural world and they teach us. Thank you so much, Chris, for, for your prophetic poetry and for joining us and Tim for letting us be part of this extraordinary gathering. Thank you all for having me here. Thanks, Tim.